Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. the morning, I actually had the chance to be with a couple of our uh, guests that have uh, wanted to know more about membership. And so I know some of you are online and this, you may have connected during this pandemic season and we'll probably have another one of those classes available in January. Uh, but uh, just want to let you all know that we're glad that you're joining us, whether you're in the room this morning or you're online and uh, want to know uh, if you want to know more how to connect with our church family, we want to connect with you. And so if you want to reach out to me personally, I'd love that opportunity. My uh, email address is Colin, C-O-L-L-I-N at greenvilleoaks.org. And uh, whether it's a question about baptism that Chris uh, Chris mentioned a minute ago about giving your life to Jesus, or it's about connection in this church family, a small group. uh, What is this story that we've been walking through and how can I get connected? uh, Feel free to reach out there and I would love to respond. Let's begin with prayer this morning as we open uh, God's word this morning. God, I thank you so much for the life of Jesus, for his birth, and for the season that reminds us uh, of how important uh, not just the presence and the lights and the trees are, although those are uh, great reminders, God, of the joy of the season, but it is because of your son, Jesus, that was born into the world, who has changed everything that we give thanks today. I pray this morning you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts and that our attention may be on this baby who has changed our lives and the lives of everyone. And uh, I pray all this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. My great grandmother, Catherine Bell, had her pew at the Preston Road Church of Christ. And you knew it was her pew because she had a footstool that was sitting there in the pew in the aisle where it entered. And the reason was because she was less than five feet tall and her feet didn't reach the ground. We, we, we would come each year from Dallas to, uh, from San Diego to Dallas to visit our family. We'd wind up at the Christmas Eve service and uh, Mimi, as we called her, would have her pew and we would sit there. And I remember staring at that footstool, wondering what in the world is that about? But my most vivid memory of that church building came a couple of years later when she passed away and we were there for the funeral. And I still remember the row we sat on still with that footstool. And I still remember the feeling of what it was like to lose a family member for the first time. On those trips back uh, for Christmas, we would uh, also visit Abilene, Texas, which is where my mother was from. My grandparents, Joe and Nadine Stevens, lived there in Abilene on 4110 Potomac Avenue. Uh, Most of you don't know where that is, but it always had the flagpole out front that we would raise up the flag each morning. He was a, a colonel in the Air Force, was stationed at Dias Air Force Base, 
I have memories of driving with him around Abilene. One in particular, I remember because we were driving on South First and we ran in, into a gas station to get some gas. And I remember getting an RC Cola, a, a bottled RC Cola with my grandfather. Anytime I see an RC Cola to this day, I always get it. And it brings back a flood of memories about my grandfather and the impact that he and my grandmother had on our lives. My family genealogy has all kinds of saints and sinners in it. And we tend to highlight the stories in our families and tell them over and over again about the great things that were done, about the connections we have to famous people in our stories. But just as many of us have heroes in our stories, we also have criminals and sinners, right? We don't tell those stories as often. I, I, in my family line, we have mayors and farmers and cafeteria owners but we also have slave owners and a cannibal, if you can believe it or not. I told that story years ago. If you want to look it up later today, brush up on the story. His name's Alfred Packer, and we don't usually tell his story, uh, but it's true, Alfred Packer. My family has been touched by all kinds of difficulties and challenges, not just in my lifetime, but in generations past. Difficult tragedies, eating disorders, suicide, divorce, estranged relatives, abortion, infidelity, addictions, much like your family, probably. My mom was actually born in, in England uh, because my uh, grandfather was stationed uh, over there after the war for a, a season. And, and she came back on a boat when she was two years old to the States and wound up in Abilene, Texas, because Dias was the place where her dad was stationed. And then in my dad's family, it was a little different. They grew up in Dallas. And when he was 18 years old, he told me this story the other day of leaving town. This is before he went to college because he was going to be selling Bibles through the South that summer before his freshman year at Abilene Christian College at the time. See, dad was the middle of three children and my mom was a twin, the youngest of four children. And those experiences and tragedies and saints and sinners make me who I am today. I tell you about this, about where I come from and who I come from because, well, you're like me. We come from somewhere. We come from somebody. We come from some bodies. We're born into something. And when we're born, it's already in motion. Like a play, as if we stumbled into, onto the stage while it's already in act two. A child is a blank slate, we say sometimes. And I would say, no. <laughs> No, we come from someplace and somewhere with DNA and proclivities and saints and sinners in our past. Our lives are loaded from the beginning with history and drama and love and wounds and tragedy and hope. And I'm mysterious enough to myself, let alone the ones I come from, let alone those of you who have your hopes and fears and histories and mysteries, let alone this floating ball that we're flying through space at 67,000 miles per hour at the same time. Your birthday, the day you were born, was not the first day. There was a story that was already in motion, and that story had been in motion, and you entered history not realizing that what had happened before you arrived may shape you even more than the things that would come afterward. The same is true as we pick up the Christmas story in the book of Matthew. If you have your Bibles, feel free to open there with me to Matthew chapter one. See, Jesus of Nazareth didn't just come out of nowhere. He came into a particular family, into a particular people, into a particular part of the story. 
Now, there's something different about his life than ours, right? I mean, there wasn't a calendar shift at the moment you were born in the world. But the BC and AD is actually dated back to this time when Jesus comes into the world. Okay, he's a little more significant than the rest of us. But do you remember why he's born in Bethlehem? He's born there because there's a Caesar on the throne who demands that everyone be a part of a census at that time. And the census meant that everyone would go to the home of the father, the patriarch of the family, and wherever they were born, that's where everyone would go back to, and they would register in the town of their father's birth or the the patriarch of the family. And so for Jesus, it just happened to be that Bethlehem was that place. And so Jesus is born into a family with a father and a mother. And if you're asking uh, the question about their family, well, you're in luck this morning because there's actually a whole chapter devoted to who those people were were behind it. Because Matthew just happens to open up in the most boring way you can imagine. (laughs) A list of names that I'm actually going to read this morning to you, okay? A list of names. Now, I don't know about you growing up when you heard the stories of your grandparents and great-grandparents and all the ancestors and those you were connected to. It's easy as a kid to kind of nod off, and sometimes we wish we'd listened a little closer these days when our parents pass on. But these names are filled with stories. These were people who were born, who had hopes and dreams. Some of them died early. Some of them had broken relationships. We don't know all the stories, but we know some of them. You'll recognize some of these names. But Matthew doesn't just write a story without its heroes and villains. He didn't just include the highlights. No, Jesus' genealogy is filled with a long list of saints and sinners, with heroes and villains. And his heroes even have skeletons in their closets. And while most uh, books of history tend to focus on the good history in the heroes in the story, that's not what the Bible does. And I love this about the Bible, right? The Bible refuses to be propaganda. It refuses to just tell the good parts. No, this genealogy is filled with all the messes as well. So I want to read from Matthew 1, verses 1 to 17. It's going to take a little bit of effort this morning to listen to this long list. I'll wake you up about halfway through so that you can come back to it. But I want you to pay attention to these names. We've been walking through the story over the last 12 weeks, and you'll notice some of those names in Jesus' ancestry as well. But listen to this, Matthew 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amenadab. Amenadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. That's a sticky story. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of our beloved Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Isaiah. This is where you start falling asleep. So wait back up if you would, okay? Isaiah, he actually shows up in the story too. Jotham, uh, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Now, after that exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, Abihud, the father of Eliakim, 
Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Now, it's always embarrassing when you read these because I probably misread some names there, right? Those are the ones we forget more. But these people were significant people. And imagine if you were in Azor's family and he gets mentioned, right? That's significant. Even those that kind of fall off the tree, not quite as a direct line. These are significant people. Some of these we've read about already in the story. Others of them we'll come back to a little bit later on. In fact, we're going to take a two-week break this week and next Sunday, but you'll want to be reading chapter 13 of the story, which is the story of Solomon when we enter back in on the 27th of December. But when I hear the names of particularly Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and, and David, I have positive associations with those names. Those are heroes of what I grew up, up hearing about. In fact, listen, if you would, to the book of Hebrews as they describe a little bit more about some of these characters in the story. Hebrews chapter 11 uh, in verse, uh, well, let's read, read in verse eight as it talks about some of these people. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Drop down to verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. And even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on top of his staff. Doesn't this sound like being around the Thanksgiving or the Christmas dinner table with the older members of the family talking about, you know, so-and-so died, he died leaning on his staff, praising God. That's the story that the Hebrews writer tells. And then there's King David, author of many of these Psalms, courageous victor over Goliath, the anointed king who faithfully and patiently served his predecessor, King Saul. And yet, as we discovered, as we read each of these stories, they're all a mess too. Because Abraham tried to speed up God's plan by sleeping with his maidservant, Hagar, he lies to Pharaoh and refers to his wife, Sarai, as his sister. And these sins and family issues seem to get passed down to the next generations. Because after that, you have Isaac, who has a mess on his hands with Jacob and Esau and the blessings that they're fighting over. And Jacob's sons sell his favorite son, Joseph, into slavery and lie to him, saying that Joseph's been killed by a wild animal. No, these sins get passed down. Remember, we enter stories not on day one, but these stories have been headed somewhere for a while. 
And King David, well, he knocks out six of the seven, six or seven of the Ten Commandments in a year, right? I mean, what a mess we've got with King David. See, if you think your family is a mess, <laughs> and, and you think maybe that means that you're discounted from the family of God, just go back and read the Bible. Because here's the reality that God has on his hands. If he's going to come into the world through any family, there's not going to be a perfect family he can choose. All those families are going to have a mess of histories, just like my family, just like your family. He just happens to show up in Joseph's family. There is not a pure, holy family that God can descend into. None of us are the kind of people that God just drops his Holy Spirit into and it's just easy from there. No, we need the transforming work of the Spirit, the power that only God can bring in our lives. And this is what I love about the Bible. Like I said, it is not propaganda. It's not lying to us. It tells the whole truth. Here's just this genealogy, which again, if you're starting a a novel or a book, who starts with a genealogy? Like get people hooked at least on chapter one. But here's this story. And if you read closely and you read like we've read the story, you realize that each of these names are a world to themselves. A world of dreams, a world of sins, a world of problems. And Matthew opens his gospel about the life of Jesus with a sordid family tree with unrighteous sinners all throughout. And what's remarkable is he includes the names of women in this genealogy, which in those days, it was a patriarchal genealogy. You just name the men, but in this story, there's, well, there's, five or six women that are included in this story. In fact, I want to just go to those now. And I I want you to know that sometimes we think these women are like kind of embarrassing parts of the story, but really these women point to the sinfulness of the men in the story. If you look closely, let's read again, Matthew one, verse uh, three, the first half, the first of these women shows up. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, why does Tamar's name end up in this genealogy, this family tree? Well, let's remind ourselves of a story that's kind of a minor story in the Bible we forget sometimes. Tamar wasn't Judah's first wife. In fact, (laughs) this is kind of embarrassing to share, but Tamar was actually the wife of Judah's son, his daughter-in-law. And his son Ur, her first husband, was so wicked that God put him to death. So Judah tells his other son, it's your job to marry uh, Tamar. And so Onan... uh, well, he's told to sleep with his dead brother's wife and he dies because of an entirely different and interesting reason. You can read more about that if you want to go back to Genesis. Uh, but then Judah's wife dies and he ends up sleeping with what he thinks is a prostitute, not knowing it's his own daughter-in-law, Tamar. They have twins named Para and Perez and Zerah. Again, boring genealogy, but if you look closely, there's more to these stories. That's why Tamar's name is found in Matthew 1. Verse 5, the next woman shows up. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Why is Rahab's name in Jesus' genealogy? If you'll remember back the story of the Jericho, the, the walls falling down, right? Rahab's the one who helped salvation come. She protected the spies and her family was able to be saved in the midst of that. But Rahab was a prostitute. I don't know what these spies were doing at her house exactly, but here's her name in the story. And if you think about the storyline as it goes down, there's Ruth and Ruth's name is in this genealogy. Ruth is the foreign wife of one of Israel's own, a Moabite daughter-in-law of Naomi, but she's faithful. Boaz is faithful with her. Verse six, 
and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. I mean, you don't have to read too much into the lines to figure out there's a messy situation there. Solomon's mom had been another man's wife. We told this story last week. Who's Uriah's wife? It's Bathsheba. She's the woman King David sleeps with before he kills her husband and covers up his sin for nearly a year. See, these women reveal that these men that are usually in these genealogies aren't as good as they usually are told about. And then there's finally Mary in verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus who was called the Messiah. Verse 16 continues this theme of the complicated family tree of Jesus. Because while this is Joseph's family tree, Joseph's not really the father of Jesus. Not really a secret if you read these stories. Mary is a virgin. She's overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit that comes upon them uh, and, and Jesus is born in the world, this divine son of God. This is a sordid genealogy. And then again, that's really the only option God has available to him because there's not a perfect lineage to bring the Messiah out of. I told you at the beginning of the story, these stories about my family and my great grandmother and my, my grandparents and my parents, because I come from somewhere. I didn't enter in day one in the world. And I realized more and more in my life that all of those stories and experiences that shaped my family, those phrases get passed down to me. Metaphors and stories, phrases that I didn't know had meaning, but my great-grandfather had passed on to my grandfather who passed on to my dad and on to me. And here I find myself saying those same phrases to my kids that come from somewhere far before. Yes, Jesus enters into a story that is already in motion for generations. And what is needed in the story of Israel is not more of the same. What is needed is a disruption from another place. And that's what Jesus comes to offer. Jesus is the son of Mary, but not exactly Joseph. He's the son of God, miraculously. And over the next couple of weeks, as we prepare to celebrate Christmas, we too need a disruption from outside of ourselves. I like a, a quote from Mark Twain that I want to close on this morning. He says, history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. And we're living in 2020. And as I've been reading the Christmas story, and as I think about next Sunday services, and as I think about Christmas Eve service that we'll have on the 24th, it's an invitation for us to realize that the world of 2020 isn't nearly as far away from the world of, that Jesus was born into as we think. And just as there was a disruption needed from the outside, we too need a disruption from the outside. We need this baby who was born so many years ago to be reminded that we're waiting on another disruption of that baby a second coming of Jesus into the world. But in the midst of the darkness that we face this year, I wanna remind us that there is reason for hope and joy and peace. And it's because of this baby who has been born. This next song that we're gonna sing is about that hope in the midst of a time of darkness, about hanging on to faith in the midst of seasons where we wonder if we can really do that at all. So as we sing in just a moment, in fact, I wanna ask you right now, if you would, to stand. I want you to sing this song, maybe thinking back on your family tree a little bit, maybe thinking back on Matthew's, maybe thinking back about this past year and maybe the darkness that you're feeling right now in this season. But this song is a song, a chance for us as we move into Christmas to be reminded that faith and joy and hope and love have a, have a reason because this disruption of the baby Jesus into our world uh, still has a chance for us to have hope and faith today. 
Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Connect with us on Instagram. You can find and follow us there at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.